Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Every age wrestles with this. The best way to interpret this is, seems to be, that the, the four horsemen are unleashed after Christ's ascension and continue to ride in their way until the final judgment. G.K. Beale says this, the plagues of the four horsemen are symbolic of the suffering of many throughout the earth, which will continue until the final return of Christ. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. All the way back to the first few months following Christ's ascension, believers have been waiting for his return. At many times, including right now, world events have felt like his return was imminent. Yet, here we are, still waiting. Why is it so hard to judge when the time is really at hand? As Pastor Ricky will clarify in today's message, the prophecies contained in Revelation have been and are currently in the process of being fulfilled, and the problem is more our interpretation of the timeline. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Revelation chapter 6 as he begins his message, When the Man Comes Around. This chapter in particular is one of those chapters in which there is both a uh, a bizarre fascination uh, from the broader culture and a profound misunderstanding of the point of the chapter. Now, we're gonna talk about this chapter thematically. There's a specific theme that you will get as soon as we read the text, and that theme continues Uh, through the entire book of Revelation. In fact, it's one of the predominant themes of Revelation, and yet is one that most Christians, especially in America, try to underplay or explain away or ignore. Uh, Most people, as they read the book of Revelation, read the book of Revelation like this. Revelation 1, there's Jesus. We love that. Revelation 2 and 3, letters to the churches. Okay, that's understandable. Revelation 4, the big throne. God's in charge. Revelation 5, Jesus, the lamb that was slain. And then Revelation 6 to 19, it's like uh, something, blah, 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 blah. And then new heavens and new earth at the end. Yay! So we are embarking on the part or into the part of Revelation that we most often ignore or tends to create the most perverse fascination in the broader culture. But I want us to see this through the lens of the first century. Remember that, that the Apostle John is taking down this revelation and it was first given to encourage churches in Asia Minor who were being attacked by others, were being opposed by others, who were being seduced by the world, and Jesus sends this letter to them first, and then through them, we get to benefit throughout all history, as all Christians benefit from this. So ask yourself as we read this, how and why would Jesus think that this is the most important thing to communicate to his churches in that place? Revelation chapter 6 This is God's word. Verse one. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. 
When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. Then its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Now do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and its rider's name was death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine, and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. And the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who was seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? This is God's word. Well, do we have any Johnny Cash fans at the church? Any fans of the man in black? Nope. Mrs. Wheeler. There we go. Love it. I got into the Johnny Cash thing late. I actually got into Johnny Cash. The first song, I, the first Johnny Cash song I remember hearing was the song posthumously, posthumously released after he died that was a celebrity-filled music video. Like every celebrity from everywhere was in this video, sort of as a tribute to Johnny Cash. And, and the, 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 the song was catchy. His old ragged voice was compelling. It was a cool song. And then you started to listen to the song and you thought, and I remember thinking, well, is that right? The song went like this. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, Tell them that God's going to cut them down. And as a Christian, I remember thinking, is that right? You know, like, like can I sing, could I sing that? You know, is Johnny Cash allowed to sing that? And today, you'll often find people open to hearing about a good God, but not an angry God. 
I've had multiple people who are not Christians tell me that they like the kind and good Jesus who has children gathered to him and, you know, multiplies bread and heals people and talks about loving your neighbor. They like that Jesus. They don't like the angry, wrathful, vengeful God of the Old Testament. But this one is okay, the, the, the nice version of him. We're going to do today a thematic overview of the descriptions of anger and wrath in Revelation because they occur through the book. And we're going to ask, what is God really like? Is God good? Is God angry? And here's what I believe the, this passage and the Bible as a whole teaches. God is good and he is angry. And he is good because he is angry at sin and injustice and evil. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be good. And God is angry precisely because he is good, because he is just, because he is incorruptible, because he alone is untainted by sin and evil. And when we see that, it'll prove to be good news. Now, as we jump into this, remember the context. Revelation 4 shows God on the throne. Revelation 5, the, the purposes of God are bound up in this scroll with seven seals, and, and the Lamb, Jesus, takes the scroll and, set, and basically says he will execute the purposes of God. The purposes of God are for judgment and redemption through the ages. And the G.K. Beale sums it up like this. Through his death and resurrection... Christ has made the world forces of evil his agents to execute his purposes of sanctification and judgment for the purposes of his kingdom. All right, three sections today. The, the first and longest will be the wrath of the lamb described. What is this wrath? First, we learn that the wrath of the lamb is clear and is furious. Now, in the structure of the text, there was a, you'll see the four horsemen or the four horsemen of the apocalypse, riding out, causing devastation, but they are being armed. They are being given authority. They are being assigned a task, as it were. And you see those, that phrasing, they were given. He was given a bow. This was given, he was given a sword. These mirror the passages of God doing something similar in the book of Zechariah with chariots riding out. And the first horseman causes... Uh, conquering and invasions. So perhaps the best way to look at it is one nation invading another nation and wars between nations. The second horseman seems to cause civil war. So people inside of a country fighting each other. The third horseman causes uh, economic devastation and starvation in a sense. And the fourth horseman causes pestilence and disease and wild beasts. And, and essentially the picture is that death has corrupted all of creation and creation is turned against itself, against humanity. Although I will, I will say, uh, in light of recent news, it is funny that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are war, civil war, uh, pestilence, and inflation. In case you're wondering about the th that third phrase, like the quart of wheat for the denarius, you're like, what in the world is that about? Well, what it means is you go into Walmart and you're going to fill up on gas and you're like, is it $5 a gallon now? That's what it's talking about. It's saying that the prices have become inflated. You can't even buy the necessities that you need. Now, they together form a full picture 
of humanity at war with itself, creation at war with humanity, people going hungry, people being hurt. Now, similarly then, in Revelation 8, there is a second series of judgments. There are eight, uh, not eight, sorry, seven trumpets that are sounded, and often you'll find there'll be six trumpets of judgment, and then the seventh will be sort of a culmination. And so in this case, you see in Revelation 8 that every facet of creation laid out in Genesis 1 and 2 is destroyed. So in other words, the seas, they're turned undrinkable. The skies darken and stars fall down. The mountains pulled down. Creation and the living things turn on one another. There's, if Genesis 1 and 2 is the progressive creation, Revelation 8 is the progressive uncreation. Then, lest you think, okay, well, man, those two sections were crazy, but I'm glad we're done with that. Nope. Revelation 14, God's wrath is pictured as a wine press, and the wicked, this is one of the most terrifying and startling images in Scripture, the wicked are seen as those in the wine press, and God in judgment is treading, stomping, smashing on the wine press. That's Revelation 14. Revelation 15, seven plagues are poured out, mirroring the plagues against the Egyptians. Revelation 16, seven bowls of wrath are poured out. Here's what I want you to see. This is not a sub-theme in Revelation tucked away in a corner. Neither is this a sub-theme in the Bible. Read the Old Testament. See God's judgment brought against the Egyptians, but then see God's judgment brought against the evil and the unjust even among his people as the ground opens and people are swallowed, where, where wrath is poured out against his people through uh, Babylon and Assyria, and then in turn, because of their wickedness, others conquer them. Unless you think, okay, well, Jesus, Jesus surely is the nice guy. Maybe the Bible is sort of an extended good cop, bad cop thing where God the Father in the Old Testament is the bad cop, like, you guys better behave. And then Jesus comes out and he's like, hey, everybody, just be cool and love one another. That, that, we, we tend to think about Jesus that way. In fact, Jesus is the person that speaks most about hell and judgment in the New Testament. Go back and read the book of Mark. Here's what I want you to see. The, 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 the wrath of the Lamb is a clear theme in scripture. It can't be ignored. And if our view of God doesn't allow for an angry God, then it is not the view of God in the Bible. Second thing we learn, the wrath of the lamb is partial and present. Now, one of the key questions about these four horsemen of the apocalypse are whether they uh, point to something that happened in the first century or something that happened uh, now or something that will happen in the future, right? And Here's the, here's the irony. Every century, somebody comes out, and you can see this even in like church history. Every century, especially uh, the Middle Ages, people were like, this is it. It's the end. And how do they know? Well, first of all, we have wars between nations. Huh? Second, civil wars. Huh? Third, economic devastation. And fourth, plague. And so everybody, and you know, so when the Black Death comes, they're like, oh, 100 years war and civil war and the Black Death and economic devastation. This is it. We're in the end times, right? And then the centuries kept rolling. And then in World War I, it's the Great War. And then the Spanish flu. And then the Great Depression. And then, you know, and then... And my dad was sharing with me during the Cold War uh, that people regularly were like, this is it. 
This is it, nuclear combat. And this is, you know, and, and we're now back to that, I guess. Um, and so every age wrestles with this. Now, what's the best way to interpret this then? Well, the best way to interpret this is, it seems to be that the, the four horsemen are unleashed after Christ's ascension and continue to ride in their way until the final judgment. G.K. Beale says this, the plagues of the four horsemen are symbolic of the suffering of many throughout the earth, which will continue until the final return of Christ. So here's what you should see. God is sovereign, and part of his justice and judgment occurs even now. Even now. Now, as we'll, we could do a thematic overview in Scripture of the purposes of God and judgment. Um, one of those purposes, well, one of the realities of judgment is that we're just Christians living in a fallen world and we experience the fallenness of the world. And one of the consequences of sin is that God gives humanity over to our fallenness and does not restrain us. Other times we see God using discipline in our lives in, in these ways, or sometimes God purifies his church through sin. All of these could be part of the purpose of God through this judgment, which is partial and present. And so some people are like, we're not gonna be present during the bad stuff in Revelation, right? Sorry, here you are, right? This is your present. This, but, but all Christians, in a sense, and this should be a comfort to you, have been present. The, and, and part of the purpose of God is that the people of God throughout the age, especially in the first century, um, would not would, would say, look, this is what's happening. The world is in turmoil. And rather than going, things are out of control, we're going to die, they should say, no, no. Jesus is firmly in control, and he's using these things for his good purposes. In other words, don't freak out because you think you're off the road. See the rough road as, yep, Jesus told us it would be rough. We're on the right road. All right, third, the wrath of the Lamb is coming soon in fullness. Now, you'll see the first four, then a, a pause in five for the martyrs, which we'll deal with, and then the sixth seal. Now, the sixth seal, uh, in contrast to the first four seals, is not partial judgment. It is complete judgment. It is universal judgment. Uh, this is the, what the Old Testament calls the day of the Lord. Uh, it is the day of ultimate judgment on the earth. And we see this because even stars are destroyed. The sky is rolled up. And every single person is affected, regardless of who they are, right? The rich, their wealth will not protect them against this. The generals, their armies will not protect them against this. The, the great ones and kings, their power won't protect them. Everything is being undone. Now, very much you're probably wondering, okay, well, what, so first four are kind of now, six is coming. How do we make sense of the timelines and chronology then of uh, Revelation? Now, we'll talk more about this as we go. In Revelation, some things occur out of sequence. For example, in Revelation 12, when we get there, seems very strongly to be about the birth of Christ. And you're like, well, how does that fit in the timeline? So some people will then say, okay, some of these seven 
uh, sevens of judgment, some of them may be looking at the same events from different angles, almost like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John look at the life of Jesus through different, slightly different angles that are complementary. There are, there are different sections of judgment that, that overlap. For example, one good uh, reading could be Revelation 6. Uh, the sixth seal, the day of the judgment, is then unfolded in full in Revelation 8, and Revelation 8 is kind of all tucked into Revelation 6. If you're losing track of this, it's okay. There's three people I'm talking to right now, and they need this. Uh, <laughs> So basically, this is what I would encourage you to think about. What, what is clear, and this, is, I'm not, this, isn't, this, this may not be perfectly the structure of Revelation historically, but it is very much the structure of Revelation thematically, where the same types of events keep occurring, and they seem to keep occurring with greater intensity until the end. So there's judgment and God's people are preserved and they're martyred and the gospel advances and there's judgment and evil. God's people are preserved. There's martyrs and judgment, you know, and it, they keep going and it, and it eventually culminates in the day of the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to get. There's a sense in which from, from the first four seals that judgment is now, but there is a sense in which, according to Revelation 6, the final day of the Lord is yet to come. So, fourth, let's cover this. The wrath of the Lamb is just. Now, we know from all of Scripture that God's judgment is just, but we see a compelling example of it in the fifth seal, where the, the people of God, the martyrs of God, who are unjustly killed, cry out, O sovereign Lord, meaning they acknowledge the Lamb is sovereign. Holy and true, they acknowledge that he's incorruptible. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They, they are crying out for justice. They have been unjustly murdered as, as kind of a, an exemplar of the kind of injustice that occurs throughout history. And this leads to their cry of judgment, or, or the cry for justice and judgment. Uh, Johnny Cash sang in another song, well, you may throw your rock and hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man, but as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. Meaning this, this is the truth about an angry God in the Bible. If he sees the world as it is, he must be angry if he is good. If this is true, if he is holy and true, he must be angry. And if he is sovereign, he must do something about it. That is what the scripture says of God. Wayne Grudem says this, what would God be like if he were a God that did not hate sin? He would then be a God who either delighted in sin or at least was not troubled by it. Such a God would not be worthy of our worship for sin is hateful and it is worthy of being hated sin ought not to be it is in fact a virtue to hate evil and sin and we rightly imitate this attribute of god when we feel hatred against great evil injustice and sin
Pastor Ricky will continue teaching through this series in the book of Revelation next time on Better News Radio. What an amazing gift this book of the Bible is. It's a very revealing book about the future, and yet there's still things that you won't be able to understand with a finite human mind. But wouldn't it be remarkable to have a full understanding of all of it at a later time? This book is Jesus' way of assuring his people that he'll make all things right. Justice will be done and the world will be restored because of a savior who comes and fights the bad guys. What a heroic story that weaves its way throughout all of history. Revelation brings things with this current world to a close and God ushers in a new reality. What hope this can bring you as a Christian and follower of Jesus? Don't live in fear of what's to come of this world. God's in control and he has a good plan. If you're enjoying studying God's Word but would like some additional resources, we'd like to help you. Go to betternewsradio.com and find some helpful tools to assist you along the way. You can also give us a call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. Don't forget to place a marker in your Bible and join us again as Pastor Ricky continues teaching through God's Word in the book of Revelation. Our time with you for today is about up, but we trust that you're learning and growing, appreciating what God is teaching you. Come again to hear Better News Radio.